Today on the Matt Wall Show, leaked internal videos show that my children's book, Johnny the Walrus, has traumatized and triggered Amazon's employees. They are literally in tears over it, and it's the greatest moment of my career. We'll talk about it today. Also, conservative accounts on Twitter see huge spikes in followers right as it's announced that Elon Musk is buying the company. What's going on there? And more disturbing information about the children's book, quote-unquote, from the American Academy of Pediatrics that pushes chemical castration on nine-year-olds. Plus, a NASCAR driver is sent to sensitivity training for posting a racist meme, but was the meme actually racist? And our daily cancellation, more leaked videos. This time, it's uh, administrators and leftist activists meeting to game plan protests against my speech tonight at Wisconsin Superior. But why are school administrators helping to plan protests? We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. If your retirement account has been heavy on stocks for a while, uh, I have some great news for you. You've won. The value of your IRA or 401k has likely ballooned thanks to the longest bull market run in U.S. history. But after every bull run comes a recession. And right now, stock valuations are at historic highs, only seen before the Great Depression and the dot-com crash. In the face of teetering global stability, stock volatility, volatility is way up. So maybe it's time to take some of your chips off the table. Secure your winnings and your future with gold from Birch Gold. That's right, Birch Gold will help you convert those gains you have on paper into a real physical asset. Oh yeah, and it'll be in a tax-sheltered account, which means Uncle Sam can't get its uh, grubby paws on it. Get started now. Text Walsh to 989898 with thousands of satisfied customers and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Birch Gold can help you protect your savings. Text Walsh to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold. There is no obligation to get this info, so text Walsh, again, to 989898 to protect at least some of your winnings with gold. My friends, my sweet babies, I've had some proud moments in my career so far, even back when I was screaming at the dashboard in my car while parked in a Walmart parking lot, which is where I did a lot of my shows back then for some reason. But even then, on occasion, there would be a milestone, which to me was significant. Since then, there have been other personal achievements, which meant a lot to me. But nothing in my career can come close to this, to the knowledge that my best-selling children's book, Johnny the Walrus, traumatized, terrified, and triggered, their own words, Amazon's employees. This is the pinnacle, the summit, uh, I'm a, it's all downhill from here, I'm afraid. So yesterday, my friend Libs of TikTok released uh, the video from an Amazon internal meeting where employees discussed, complained about, and consoled each other over my books. Actually, my books, plural, not just Johnny the Walrus. The whole thing is so perfect, so on the nose, that you might suspect I scripted it and staged it all myself. Um, it begins with one of the leaders of the meeting talking about the trauma that my book about walruses has caused. Let's listen. It's been a very traumatic experience for transgender Amazonians and our transgender customers. What I don't want to come out of this is um, slamming the books team uh, with a bunch of tickets. They are already aware of this. There, you know, there are things in this space that are happening. I take it back. Um, I could not have scripted this because if I had, I never would have included the line transgender Amazonians. That would have seemed too absurd, too contrived. It's the kind of lunacy that only an authentic leftist in his natural environment could come up with. Transgender Amazonian sounds like some kind of mythical character. And, well, if the shoe fits. Also, 
Note how he says that the books team is, quote, aware, and quote, there are things in this space that are happening. In other words, they are actively trying to suppress the book. That's what he's saying. Unsuccessfully, very unsuccessfully, as it turns out, uh, because right now the book is is just surging on the charts. It's in the top five. It's been in the top five for, for a day, but they're trying. And it's the fact that they've been so unsuccessful and that I was able to figure out a way to navigate the system, a system designed to make sure that people like me fail, that makes them all the more enraged, as, as we'll see a little bit later on. For now, though, let's uh, keep on listening to this clip. Johnny the Walrus is a bit of a problematic book. Uh, not a bit. It is. It is not a bit of a problem. It's one hell of a problem. Um, and I would preface this about what the book's about, but the customer we're going to listen to does a great job. Need to keep a, a running list here of superlatives to add to the book cover when we do a second printing or actually a third printing because uh, the first printing sold out in a day if you hadn't heard so he's already given me some good ones. Problematic, traumatic, and one hell of a problem. That last one's especially great. I hope that I want that on my tombstone when I die. One hell of a problem. The customer who called in to complain, one of many complaints we're told. So we're told this is kind of like a, uh, a representative sample. But this customer certainly agrees with uh, all those assessments about me and about the book and has a whole lot more to say about it. Let's listen. I just checked your website. And the book is still up on there. I hate to tell you, but it says that the book, that it is shipped and sold from you. It is by Matt Walsh. It is teaching kids to kill, well, to bully transgenders. Yeah, to, to bully them into committing suicide, the LGBTQIA, especially transgenders. The story is about a kid who likes to pretend he's different things, and one day he pretends he's a walrus. And the community tells him he either has to be a human or he has to be a walrus or they're going to kill him. He can't be both. He can't pretend anymore. Now, the author, Matt Walsh, just tweeted this yesterday morning at 8.04 a.m. I now have the number one anti-LGBT book in the country. Any further criticism of me or my book is homophobic. Checkmate. You are selling a manual how to teach kids to bully other kids to commit suicide. You know what, honestly, I'm, I'm really mad because I have a, I have a sibling that who is a member of the LGBTQ, so I'm really mad as well right now. Now, if I was inclined to call people Karens, um, I'd certainly say that this person fits the bill. I don't call people that because it's an anti-white racial slur, so instead we'll just stick with calling her a shrill, hectoring wench. Um, maybe The View should give her a call. She'd be perfect, I think, as a coach. She might actually be someone from The View. She also lies about the content of the book, claiming that I instruct kids to kill or at least bully transgenders. In this, in this rather dark and gritty reimagining of my original story, 
She says that um, in my book, Johnny the Walrus, you know, Johnny is told by the community that they'll kill him if he doesn't stop pretending to be a walrus. None of that actually happens in the book. I mean, I it's been a little while since I wrote it. I, I admit I'll go back and check, but I don't think, I don't remember including any lines in there about killing transgenders or the community telling Johnny that stop pretending to be a walrus or we'll kill you. That, that's not in there. In fact, nothing like that happens. And it makes me concerned for the woman's health. I, you know, I know that um, you can actually get, uh, and this is true, this is a medical fact, I think, that you can get um, like brain worms from exposure to too much cat litter. And so I'm concerned that this cat lady may be suffering from that condition. I mean, jokes on the worms, though, in that case, because they made it up to her head and looked around and found out the place was empty. Um, she then says that that I called my own book the number one anti-LGBT book in the country. In fact, I didn't say that. I called it because it was and will always be, if, in my heart, the, num- the number one LGBT book in the country. Not anti-LGBT book. So she lied about that, too, or hallucinated it. Meanwhile, the Amazon employee on the phone listens to all this and nods along in agreement. You know, he's angry, too, he says by this book that the lady just made up. And keep in mind that the, that Amazon itself, they are playing this complaint for the other employees and endorsing it. I mean, they said up front that they like agree with this, that this is a good description of the book while she just makes up a version of the book that doesn't exist. But we somehow have yet to make it to the best parts. Things get more emotional in a second video as the employees continue to, to lament the many ways in which I abused committed violence against their algorithms. Listen. It's bad faith. It's basically abuse of Amazon systems and they're, they're, they're intentionally like it, when I say they, I mean like Matt Walsh and his publishing publishing company and other people like him are taking advantage of Amazon and how the Amazon algorithms work to promote their particular brand of hate and harm on the community. I have taken advantage of Amazon. Without Amazon's clear and affirmative consent, I have used and abused and manhandled its algorithms. This is the worst case of algorithmic abuse the world has ever seen. And we aren't done. I mean, if you're, if you're worried that so far they've cried over one of my trolling schemes but have neglected to mention my other ones, don't worry because they do get around to that also. The other part of this that is equally disturbing is um, he, uh, Matt Walsh, is getting ready to release, um, I believe, um, a book called What is a Woman? And there's also a, a, a documentary that comes with it. Um, it, 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 I, Jamie Lee shared some information with me. <laughs> about the, the movie um the documentary that's going along with it but people are already talking about it he tricked it was very much that style tricking transgender people into participating not understanding what they were participating in and it's called what is a woman um one man's journey to answer the question i mean like does like, like let's just back up for, for a second and say does a man even belong in this conversation no he doesn't but guess what? We're not, it's not even on sale yet. And it's number one in women's studies. And, and number one in the other categories um, 
that it's available in as well. Yeah, this, so, this is chief mansplaining. Chief mansplainer, another superlative. First of all, how do you know that I'm not a woman? I mean, what is a woman? In order to make that kind of criticism against what is a woman, you first need to be able to tell me what is a woman, but you can't. And that's exactly why the film and book exist, which you can find out more about uh, when you go to whatisawoman.com. Second, this is no way to speak to a or about a best-selling women's studies scholar, can I just say. Finally, we get to the grand finale, and we got to play this. This is the emotional crescendo of the story. When ultimately breaking under the psychological stress, the guy leading the meeting begins to weep. Watch this and don't laugh. Okay, this is serious stuff. So don't laugh, you you heartless bullies. Watch. Exploiting our systems, right? Our systems aren't, like, they're not set up to catch. You know, they can, you know, the self-publishing authors, they can categorize their books however they want. Um, and so, um, yeah, I want to, sh- I just... I'm sorry. I, yeah, I want to preface hard. this, this with. I want to preface this with. I also saw someone mention that this is really tough content, and if you're transgender, if you're gender non-binary, take you know, and this is super triggering, and this is super it, like it, it would like I would understand if you needed to leave. This is for education for people who don't get it, who don't understand. And I would understand if if this was a lot, but equally, I want folks to know um, that we that we're doing this because this really matters. <clears throat> I understand. Um, I, I also understand. You know, I understand if my book written on cardboard for preschoolers about a boy who pretends to be a walrus is too distressing and disturbing for you. You know, I understand. I understand, in other words, if you're mentally ill. Um, I understand and I sympathize. Well, actually, I don't really sympathize. And come to think of it, I don't really understand either. But I acknowledge it anyway. And I hope you get the counseling you need. Or I hope you banish yourself to an island in the Pacific somewhere. I'll take either option, really. Though I'd prefer the latter because your cry-bully narcissism is a scourge, a plague, a cancer on this country. Now, I want to speak now, uh, finally, directly to uh, these employees at Amazon. You're obviously paying close attention to what I say and do, so I know you'll see this and hear it. And I want you to hear me when I, when I say what needs to be said here. This will be perhaps the most important message that you ever hear in your life. It's something you should have been told years ago, but never were. And I'll tell you now. And here it is. It's not my job to cater to your feelings. I, in fact, do not care about your feelings because your feelings are wrong. Did you know that feelings can be wrong? Because they can. Now, you might have been told different when you were little, but they lied to you. So feelings can be wrong. And when you feel sad, angry, upset, traumatized, triggered, scandalized, whatever, about a children's book that teaches little kids to accept themselves for who they truly are, like who they really are, who they biologically are, rather than following a delusion, when that makes you feel bad and icky inside, 
Your feelings are wrong. You should not feel that way. You're, you are wrong for feeling that way. You're the problem, not me. You should apologize to me for being so damned weird and annoying and unreasonable. I mean, you think that women have penises. You think that kids should be chemically castrated and sterilized. You think that the books that we should be selling to kids and that you should be selling to kids on Amazon are the ones that encourage them to sterilize and castrate themselves. That's what you think. That's how you feel. And that's why your feelings are not valid. Your opinions are irrelevant. You should feel ashamed. But you don't, and that's the whole problem. I'm not the problem. You are. You freaks. Glad we could have this talk. And thank you for driving my book all the way to the top five overall on Amazon again. You've inspired me to write more children's books. So stay tuned. And we'll get now to our five headlines. You know, the thing about the left is that they hate everything that is good in the world. Um, and that includes, and especially includes, meat. And, you know, but when the supply chain and inflation cause meat prices to soar, their response then isn't to solve the supply chain and inflation. It's to tell you that it's the, it's the perfect opportunity to switch from juicy, delicious, and nutritious meat to something called lentils. Or worse, another priority seems to be getting you to stop eating meat and, and start eating bugs instead. People like Bill Gates and outlets like Time Magazine tell us eating bugs is the solution to all of our problems. I mean, they're not. Bill Gates is not eating bugs, I guarantee you that. But he's saying that you should. And frankly, I find it disgusting. And I've realized something. It's not enough to not eat bugs. You have to be anti-bug eating. And that requires action against the bug eating movement. The best way to do that is to eat more meat. So I've decided to double down on my meat intake, and I'm inviting you to join me. I just subscribed to the Cowboy Box from Good Ranchers, which contains almost uh, 10 pounds of all-American beef. If you're worried about the supply chain or inflation increasing the price of meat over time, the solution is not lentils. The answer is subscribing to Good Ranchers. They lock in your price for life once you subscribe. And they only source from American farms. So please don't let the vegans and the bug eaters win. We need to double down on eating meat, literally. So go to GoodRanchers.com and enter promo code Walsh at checkout for $30 off your order. That's code Walsh at GoodRanchers.com for $30 off your first order. Um, one other note about this that I think, I think it's important to, to point out because, and we played most of the, the clips from that uh, Amazon meeting, but there are others that, you know, some other, some other, some other pieces that, uh, we, that we didn't play. And in this, the one theme that you keep hearing over and over again, and that you hear in those clips and, uh, and some of the other parts of it, is just how, yeah, they're upset about the book, they're upset about what's in it, they're upset about the message, they're upset about everything, but they're, what, what really gets them is how, according to them, I gamed the system, I manipulated the system, I abused it, you know, all of these things. They're, they're talking about the system and the algorithm like it's a, like it's a person. Like I've committed assault against an actual human being. And, but how did I game the system? All I did was write the book on cardboard and then put it on Amazon. That, that's all that we did. I, I wish I could say there was something more clever and devious going on, but there isn't. And so when they say, I think this is a, another mask off moment. It's very revealing because when they say uh, game the system or manipulate the system, what they're admitting is that the system is designed to make sure that people like me don't succeed in it. That's what that's what they're admitting. And so when they see that uh, someone like myself 
as a best-selling book, especially a best-selling children's book, and especially a best-selling children's book that um, that that is meant to be an, an, an antidote to the leftist indoctrination that goes on in, in a lot of other kids' books. When they see that, it's like, no, this is not, Amazon's not supposed to do that because Amazon isn't for you. That's what they're saying to me and to anyone like me. So quite revealing, in fact. Uh, All right, let's go here. From the Daily Wire, it says, the same day Elon Musk announced he had reached an agreement with Twitter to purchase a company for $44 billion, conservative users reported they began seeing large increases in their follower counts and engagement. One of the most significant factors motivating Musk's purchase of Twitter was his concern over censorship and speech suppression on the platform. Throughout the last two weeks, as he's pressed his bid to purchase the company, he's indicated that one of his top priorities will be reversing heavy-handed content moderation policies and lifting algorithms that may be unfairly targeting some tweets and accounts based on their political views. Um, And uh, now there are this, and and this is something a lot of conservatives have noticed, not just a few, you know, um, and I've noticed it also. It's quite interesting that literally on on the day when they announced that this deal was going to happen, and it hasn't been finalized. I think they have until uh, they have until October, I think, or November <clears throat> to finalize it. But on the day that it was officially announced, conservative accounts, including my own, saw massive spikes in followers. And then, but on the on the other side of it, a lot of leftist accounts, if you could track that, like MSNBC hosts and CNN hosts, they saw their follower counts dip. And I'm not exactly sure why, you know, it's, it's not clear to me why that's happening. Um, it could be a good thing. I mean, one, one possible reason to explain this is that um, there were things that they were doing to suppress conservative accounts, talking about systems that are designed to make sure that we don't succeed in them. And so there, there are things that they were doing to suppress that um, and to stop people from, you know, if you're a conservative account, to stop people from finding you, from following you. They had certain systems in place to suppress those accounts. And then as soon as this deal was announced, now they're trying to cover their tracks. Because that's the thing. It's it's not as though Elon Musk has taken over Twitter today. That's not going to officially happen for several more months. So you would think you shouldn't start seeing these changes yet. And if we are seeing the changes, then maybe they're they're trying to, they're, they're getting rid of all these things and trying to cover their tracks. So that's one possibility. Um, it's also possible there's something a little bit more sinister going on here. And I'm not sure what exactly that would be. But it does just, it, it actually makes me a little bit nervous when I see this. Given that Elon Musk has not taken over the company yet, it's still in the hands of the people who were running it two days ago. And yet we're seeing this wild spike in, in, uh, in followers for conservative accounts. I, I don't know what exactly it is. Is it, is it bots? Are they kind of behind the scenes flooding the place with bots to try to sabotage the platform before Elon Musk takes over? Could it be something like that? I don't know what it is. But things are afoot, that's for sure. Um, also from the Daily Wire, it says leftist tears were literally flowing at Twitter headquarters on Monday after Elon Musk's offer to buy the social media platform was accepted. Um, as one high-ranking employee reportedly broke down and cried during a staff meeting about the purchase. So there is a theme that we're seeing right now in the show of people at big tech companies crying because things aren't going the way that they want. I mean, these are grown adults weeping at their jobs 
because of this. Um, on Tuesday, Politico reported that Twitter's top lawyer, Vijaya, I think that's how you pronounce her first name, Vijaya, Vijaya Gad called a virtual meeting among policy and legal teams that she oversees to discuss how Musk would impact the company. Uh, it's political reported, quote, Gad cried during the meeting as she expressed concerns about how the company could change, according to three people uh, familiar with the meeting. She acknowledged that there are significant uncertainties about what the company will look like under Musk's leadership. Political also reported that Gad, who's worked with Twitter since 2011, is the key executive charged with overseeing Twitter's trust and safety, legal and public policy functions. The, the attorney is apparently so well-respected within the company that she is seen internally as Twitter's moral authority. Uh, she was the one who was primarily behind, you know, reportedly primarily behind um, suspending the New York Post for the Hunter Biden story. And if she's running the trust and safety, whatever, council commission over at, uh, at Twitter, then that means that she's ultimately the one behind making these decisions about who gets banned, who gets suspended. You know, Babylon B gets suspended for saying that males are men. That's, that's her. And come to think of it, actually, um, maybe she has reason to cry because it, the thing ultimately that I'm sure she's crying about is that she's, she thinks she's going to lose her job, which I hope to God she does. I mean, Elon Musk, far be it for me to tell him how to, how to do his job once he's running Twitter, but I think this is the first thing he needs to do is go in there, you find pe- people like this, and you get rid of them. Um, because these are, you know, even though there are algorithms and systems and everything that are put in place, there are actual human beings behind all of this. And there are human beings at Twitter who decided to turn it into, you know, a, a, a left, you know, try, decided to weaponize it for left-wing ideology and punish people on ideological grounds. And she's one of them. And you just gotta, you gotta get, you gotta get rid of her. Um, and that's, Probably why she's crying, because she knows her days are numbered numbered at Twitter, as well they should be. Uh, The women over at The View are also not quite crying, but uh, nearly on the verge of tears. And The View chimed in on all this, and and they have a take um, on all of this that is about as tedious as you have come to expect from these ladies. Let's listen. On Twitter, it is predominantly straight white men. So when Elon Musk says, wow, this is about free speech, it seems to me that it's about free speech of straight white men. And so let them have it. Let them just go at it. I enjoy the block button on Twitter. Um, I think it has a real outsized influence in, in, in our world because politicians and celebrities are on it. I mean, tedious is really the word that just comes to mind for that. This is, they are themselves, and I think many leftists, especially media, have gotten to this point where they are themselves, basically. They are algorithms. They're walking algorithms. Barely even humans anymore capable of, of, of critical thought. You know, they're programmed a certain way. And so the minute something happens that they don't like, well, this is all about straight white men. And this, there's no, of course, it should go without saying there's no evidence of that whatsoever. I mean, Elon Musk has never said anything that would lead you to believe that um, he wants to favor straight white men and that this is what this is really all about. 
She says that, oh, no, he only believes in free speech for straight white men. So what? He's going he's gonna to take over Twitter, and the new rule at Twitter is going to be if you're a straight white man, you can say whatever you want. But if you're not, then um, here, here are the moderation policies. I highly doubt that he's going to put a, a, a rule like that in place. And he's never said anything that could lead anyone to actually believe that. But this is how she's programmed, and she's not capable of actually analyzing events and um, arriving at, uh, at conclusions that way. All right, I want to move to this. I mentioned this on the show yesterday, but now we have more information courtesy of a Daily Wire report, and I'll just read from it. It says, uh, can girls get erections? A co-author of the American Academy of Pediatrics' newest guide to puberty not only says yes, they can, but that such occurrences are completely normal. In response to these claims, some pro-family groups are slamming the, quote, gender-diverse book as insanity. On April 19th, the AAP issued a new guide titled, and we told, told you about this yesterday, Uology, a puberty guide for everybody, targeted towards uh, children ages 9 through 13 years old. And this is a book, as we mentioned yesterday, um, a supposedly a children's book, 9 through 13, and it is one of the top-selling children's books on Amazon right now. I mean, mine's above it right now, but as well it should be. But it's one of the top-selling children's books. Um, one pediatrician who helped write the book explained in a radio interview that the group of professional doctors wanted to purposefully include chapters explaining radical gender ideology to children. Dr. Catherine Lowe told NPR, with this book, we're trying to change that language to be more inclusive. She claimed, with traditional puberty education, whether it's in schools or in books, we talk about how girls get their periods and boys get erections. But some girls, for example, transgender girls, might not get their periods. They need to understand about erections and those changes in their bodies. So we wanted to fill this void in puberty education so that kids, regardless of their gender, can see themselves in a book and learn about their bodies. Um, and we, as we discussed yesterday, they not only talk about girls getting erections, but they also... Um, in especially in one of the one of the chapters, I haven't read the entire book, but all we need to know is about the one chapter uh, about w- what happens if puberty doesn't feel right. And in that book, they promote hormones, puberty blockers, chemical castration, sterilization, because that's what those drugs do. By the way, that's what those drugs are. These are chemical castration drugs, and they sterilize kids. And this is. We have to keep emphasizing it. The American Academy of Pediatrics putting a book out like that. And of course, they say that this is all about, uh, well, this is about representing. We want kids to feel represented. We want them to feel seen. You know, we want a kid who's, who's already transgender. We want them to read this book and, um, and, and feel seen and represented by it. But that's not the point of the book at all, of course. And even if that was the point and the purpose of the book, that would be bad enough because there's actually no such thing as a transgender kid. But um, no, in fact, it's not about representing or making them feel seen. It's about recruiting more kids into that world. It's about promoting transgenderism. It's not like, let's take the kids who are already transgender, quote-unquote, and uh, give them this book they can read. It's let's make a book that creates, this is about creating more transgender kids. Which, as we have seen over the last several years, is very easy to do. Because kids, and especially if you're targeting them 
right on the cusp of puberty and hormones are raging and their bodies are changing and their minds going haywire and all these things are happening. We all went through it when we were kids and they're confused and they don't know exactly what's happening and they feel very uncomfortable in their body. They feel very awkward. And then you come in and you say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll help you understand what's happening here. And in fact, I'll give you an escape valve. Here's a little, and there's, 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 there's no side effects. Nothing bad can happen. Here's a little button you can push that'll put all this on pause so you can escape it and you don't have to deal with it. And that's the message to kids now. Just think about that. You're going to kids and you're saying, well, puberty is very difficult and your body as you know it is going to change drastically and, and, and oftentimes in ways that, that you don't really like at first. And, um, but we're going to give you a choice. You can have all that icky stuff happen with your body or you can have it not happen at all. And so many kids, because they don't understand and they don't know what they're doing, are going to say, well, I'll, I'll take the option to not have that happen to my body. And then the propagandists over American Academy of Pediatrics will say, well, see, there's, there's proof right there that there are so many transgender kids. This is why we need more books like this. It is so insidious what they're doing. This is from Sports Illustrated. It says, NASCAR announced Tuesday that Denny Hamlin will be required to complete a sensitivity training course that must begin by the end of the week. According to a league spokesperson, the Cup Series driver made a social media post on Monday using an anti-Asian meme from the television show Family Guy toward Kyle Larson regarding his final lap move in uh, Sunday's Talladega Super Speedway. And this is, he's being accused of uh, racism. We're being told, and this is what Sports Illustrated said in their headlines, a racist joke that that, um, Hamlin made a racist joke about this other NASCAR driver. Hamlin tweeted, I took down a post I made earlier today after reading some of the comments. It was a poor choice of memes, and I saw how it was offensive. It came across totally wrong. I apologize. Larson, who's half Japanese and the reigning Cup Series champion, made a move in his final final turn that helped him finish fourth overall in the race. However, this move was an aggressive one that uh, caused a crash. And, okay, so you have Larson, half Japanese, does something during the race, causes a crash. And then Denny Hamlin, uh, another NASCAR driver, tweets out this meme, kind of like making a joke about it from Family Guy. And, in fact, we have the meme before it was deleted. And uh, he was sent off to sensitivity training camp. Before that, here's, here's what he posted. Let's watch it here. How much signal I need to cut across eight lanes? None? I turn now. Good luck, everybody else. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's funny. Um, you know, there, there was a there was a, a, a time when you could. I mean, that's Family Guy. That's not a that's not a show from from seventy years ago. So, like, not all that long ago, you could make jokes like that. So, here's a couple of things. We're being so. This is a this is a racist joke, and of course. Hamlin's apologized for it, and he's going to sensitivity training and all the rest of it. Um, but maybe we should ask, like, is that actually a racist joke? And the answer is no. It, it in fact, is not. Okay? And I know this may be very shocking for lots of people to hear. But a joke, a, a racial joke, is not automatically racist. It's not. Okay? Because racism, racist, these are, this, this is a word that means something. And what it means is that if you're a racist person, if you're making a racist statement, then it's a statement that another race um, or, or ethnicity is 
inferior to you. Like you, you don't like them. They're inferior. And, um, and you're better than them. That's, 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 that's what racism is. There's nothing in that little meme there that even implies anything like that. It doesn't imply that he hates Asian people. It doesn't imply that he thinks Asian people are inferior to him. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a stereotype. So you're just having a little bit of fun with the stereotype. And it's slightly edgy, and yeah, it might be a little bit of, it could be offensive. That's the other thing that might be shocking for people to hear. A joke can be racial and even offensive. I mean, I don't think it's offensive, but it could be, it could be racial and offensive, but not racist, if you can believe it. So if you want to call that offensive, eh, it's a little bit offensive, maybe. It's not racist. And, and here's the other thing. It is a sign of progress when you can make jokes like that, okay? When you can make racial jokes and ethnic jokes, that's a sign of progress in society. So kind of like where we were in, say, the 90s, which, I, which, which right now is, is the, has to, I guess, be the, the pinnacle of... Uh, of interracial relations in America because you can make jokes like that and no one really got offended and everyone, you had different people making jokes about other people and, uh, and that's it. It was just a joke. You'd laugh about it. That's a sign of progress. It's just like if someone, if you're, if you're friends with someone, you can make jokes about them that people who are not their friends can't make. So it's actually a sign of affection and familiarity when you can kind of joke around with your friends. It's especially the case with guys. Uh, maybe a little bit less so with women, but that's a general principle. When you could joke around with someone, make jokes that uh, maybe in another context from somebody else would be offensive, but this is a sign of you're familiar, you're friends. It's, a, it's actually a show of affection. And so when you're in a society where people of different ethnicities and races can make jokes about each other and it's all in good fun and you just kind of laugh about it, that's progress. And so the fact that we're, we have now reached a point where we cannot make any jokes at all on racial grounds, um, that means that we've regressed. Because we used to be able to do that, and now we can't. That's regression. But th- that's not a sign that, uh, that race relations have improved. It's a sign of th- the opposite happening. All right. Uh, what else do we got here? Okay, I want to show you this because uh, before we get to the comment section, I think this tweet right here sums up, this sums up the state of journalism in the year 2022. Can we play this? this, Put this up on the screen. This is a BBC um, journalist who's visiting America, I guess, and uh, encountered something at Walmart that they found to be just quite uh, scandalous. Here it is. So this is uh, Padraig Belton, and he tweeted this, Hi from America where Walmart doesn't have a plug adapter for my UK laptop, but on the other hand, I can buy a rifle and ammunition. And then he's got a picture of uh, what he calls a rifle and ammunition, which is just sitting there behind glass at Walmart. Now, not only can you just buy the rifle, but uh, it even, this just makes it all the worse. It's the rifle is, uh, it's just like you buy it in a box and you could buy it for 28 bucks. 
Actually, I had to get over to Walmart. They're selling rifles for $28. And, um, and even if, if you zoom in, you can even see on the box, it says ages 10 and up. So they're just selling rifles to, to 10-year-old. You're telling me a 10-year-old kid can walk into Walmart and buy a rifle for $28? Oh, but then, oh, no. Well, that's actually, that's see, that's a BB gun. That's why it says Red Rider. So not only can this journalist not identify a BB gun when he sees it, even though it says it on the box, um, but also somehow he's never seen a Christmas story. I mean, anyone who's seen a Christmas, how have you not, not only should you have seen a Christmas story, but how, I, I thought everybody in the English speaking world has seen that movie at least 75 times. So that should have been your first clue. And even if you haven't seen that movie, um, and, and so you didn't know that the Red Rider BB gun plays very prominently in that story. You should still be able to look at that and, and tell. There are, there are context clues like the fact that it's $28. And then you could just read the box. And this is a journalist. This is how inquisitive this journalist is. This is how good he is at investigating things that he couldn't even read a box. And it shows not only that this is a you know, journalist who... who, who don't even do five seconds of additional research before posting something and making a claim like this. But this also shows, like, why, why did he tweet this in the first place? Why did he see that and actually think that these are real rifles that are being sold to kids for 28 bucks? It's because this is how he sees America. Like, for him, he saw that and it confirmed his priors. He saw that and he thought, oh, yeah, well, this is, this is exactly what I've heard about America. They just hand out rifles to, to 10-year-olds. You walk into Walmart, they just give you one. Walk into Walmart, they, they just give a, they're giving machine guns to toddlers. That's exactly what I've heard. So this is the impression that he had. This is the, this is the world that he lives in. And yet he's a journalist, and it's his job to tell people about the world. Except he's telling them about a, a fictional world, a world that exists inside his head. My only regret is that this guy had not gone to like a Dollar Tree and gone to the toy section where they sell. If you could believe this, I mean, at Dollar Tree, and I've seen this recently, they're selling grenades at Dollar Tree for a dollar. I mean, they're plastic and they're in the kids' toy section, but live grenades. Um, I guess they also, what, they don't, they don't sell toy... I guess they don't. In the UK, they don't sell toy weapons. I guess I'm not surprised by that. But that's journalism for you in the year 2022. Well, you've probably seen some of what uh, your kids are watching on TV and learning in school. Hopefully you've seen it. Marxism, socialism, critical race theory in kindergarten through 12th grade. Disney's recent directives to de-gender children executives. Not so secret push to uh, agenda to push non-binary slash pansexual onto kids. Um, Scholastic Kids Magazine in schools constantly rips on America. You've probably seen the viral videos of parents begging school boards to stop brainwashing our kids. Many of you are as frustrated as I am. Parents and upstanding educators are realizing that most of America's school system has been hijacked by the left and are now committed to stopping radical agendas from ruining our country. That's what PragerU Kids is all about. In just one year, PragerU Kids has created nearly 150 videos, uh, pieces of video and, and print content for children in kindergarten through 12th grade. From animated shows, illustrated books, to digital magazines, PragerU Kids offers entertaining and educational content to equip families to save the future of America. 300,000 parents 
Teachers, grandparents, and caregivers have already subscribed to PragerUKids.com to get new episodes and resources delivered to their inboxes every week for free. PragerUKids offers what's no longer being taught or celebrated in schools and all the woke kid shows and everything else, and that is our American values and history. Responsibility, hard work, equality under God, freedom, critical thinking, truth, innocence. Kids need these values now more than ever. Get tons of resources to watch at home and in classrooms by downloading the PragerU app to your smart TV and devices. Go to PragerUKids.com right now. Enjoy their animated shows, books, and magazines for kids. Most importantly, support PragerU in their efforts to get America back on track. Subscribe now and don't miss PragerU's incredible free kids content. Visit PragerUKids.com today. Let's get now to the comment section. Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? to blame it's a sweet baby gang jim says i laughed out loud in my office when his daughter addressed him as matt referring to the story that i told about my pangender child who was uh very upset to find out that elon musk was taking over twitter but um and, and I, I did say they're tra- they're they're pangender you bigot I, I didn't say anything about daughter Evan says, nothing screams stuck in the 90s quite like talking about ending hunger when the big problem is obesity. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the big problem in, you know, so to speak, the big problem in the United States and much of the Western world. Uh, it's, it's quite the opposite problem from, from hunger, as you point out. There still is plenty of actual hunger and starvation and, uh, across the world and third world countries and so on. That is a, that's a, still a very real problem. There are people who are starving or famished. Um, the issue, though, is that, as we discussed yesterday, um, Elon Musk, even if he said, I'm going to take all of, a, you know, all of my money and I'm, gonna, uh, I'm worth $200 billion, I'm going to put it all towards ending world hunger, um, he, he wouldn't even make a dent in world hunger. Because so much of that, in, in, in so many cases, um, when you have hunger, it's not a simple lack of resources. It's not just like, let's go buy a bunch of food and give it to these people. It's that in many cases, these are people who are living under corrupt, incompetent regimes, governments that are causing this problem. I mean, let's just take North Korea, for example. There are lots of starving people in North Korea. Um, how's Elon Musk going to solve that problem with money? It's, they're starving because the North Korean government is choosing to starve them. It's not that, it's not that they don't have the resources. They're just, they're just making sure that, that uh, their people don't get those resources. And so at the UN, and this is, this is what happens when the UN starts handing out relief and, and money and everything. Um, oftentimes it goes right into the hands of corrupt regimes and government officials who are causing the problem to begin with. Um, Leroy says, puberty makes everyone feel weird, LOL. I remember my best friend felt weird because he grew like a foot in a year. Yeah, that feels weird. He was gawky for years. His bones hurt as well. Um, and Crystal agrees, says, I can almost say with 100% certainty that every 12-year-old girl that started her period doesn't feel right. It's effing normal. Yeah, and that's exactly the point. I mean, for boys, I could say from experience, you know, for boys, puberty, it's, it's difficult for any kid because your body's changing so much. And uh, for boys, that's one thing where you just, you grow, 
you know, you have to buy new shoes every every two weeks and you're growing really fast. Um, for girls, it's even more difficult, which is why you could talk to almost any grown woman and they will tell you that they went through something like this, you know, when they were kids going through puberty where they felt very alien in their own body. And um, it's just very fortunate for women who are grown women today that none of this stuff existed back then. So they didn't have anyone coming around and saying, oh, I'll, I'll explain your feelings to you. It means you're in the wrong body. And here's the good news. You can, you can have the right body, the quote unquote right body. Here are some pills. It's as simple as that. Maximilian says, Matt, the most heavily discriminated against demographic in public schools are by far left-handed people. Think about scissors, discs, and handshakes. Um, yeah, but you deserve it. Left-handed people, I, I, I will say, that's, that's one group of people who are inferior. You freaks. You deserve everything that's coming to you. If you haven't signed up yet for Ben Shapiro's Third Thursday Book Club, now's the time to do it. It streams tomorrow night, and Ben will be discussing The Once and Future King by T.H. White. The book club will stream at 8 p.m. Eastern, and you'll get uh, to go through Ben's notes and have your most pressing questions answered. After the stream, make sure you pick up Moby Dick by Herman Melville for next month's book club. If you're not a member yet, head to thirdthursdaybookclub.com to sign up and join him next month for Moby Dick. Check out the trailer. I want to tell you about my third Thursday book club. This is not your average book club. These are the greatest books in the history of Western literature. We're going to dive into the greatest works of all time. These are the books that helped form the key pillars of Western civilization and helped define America. And we're going to do it live with thousands of you, our Daily Wire members. I'm going to be your personal guide. I've read every one of these books. I'm going to draw out the important lessons and themes from every book. Plus, I'm going to be answering your questions along the way. So we actually do read the book together. You join the book club, you are going to get smarter. You're going to get more knowledgeable because this is an investment in your most valuable asset, your mind. The third Thursday book club, it's going to change the way you think. You know, when you sign up, you'll also get uh, Ben's notes, which is a cheat sheet to the important lessons of the book. So sign up now at thirdthursdaybookclub.com to get his notes sent straight to your inbox for The Once and Future King by T.H. White. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. As you know, I am but a shy and unassuming podcaster, and I don't like to be the center of attention. That's why it was so difficult for me yesterday when I was the subject of a second round of leaked videos. This time, it was a meeting between administrators and students at the University of Wisconsin-Superior about my event on campus, which will be held there tonight, in fact. Um, Leftist students met with school administrators to try to get the speech canceled. Uh, They were unable to get the speech canceled so far. So they then start to strategize their protest against my speech. School administrators are more than happy to help facilitate and plan these demonstrations against me. But there's no systemic discrimination against conservatives on campus, remember. That doesn't exist. Administrators are just conspiring with leftist activists to protest conservative speakers. But that doesn't prove anything, of course. So we'll watch some of these clips. The audio quality isn't great, but it's uh, clear enough to get the gist. You don't need to hear it clearly given that leftist activists only know about five words in the first place. So it's not very hard to fill in the blanks, but let's listen. Uh, and we come back to this, but getting towards the actual protesting of the event that folks choose to do that. What questions are around the actual protesting? Um, how, like, how would you approach, or how would the protesters kind of um, um, 
address counter-protesters. Like, if we're sitting there, like, peacefully or whatever, but there are other people who want to engage violence, how should we as the civil protesters interact with them? Yeah, I think, I mean, the best interaction you can have is not to interact with them, right? I think the other piece of it is informing campus police of what's happening, obviously, we be monitoring that situation. But another group of individuals, to your point, has the ability to do that as well, right? So I think keeping to the root cause of why you're protesting and what you're doing and the purpose behind it, sticking with the core values that you've established is going to be key. So the activist here is worried that conservative counter-protesters might get violent. I mean, never mind that all of the political violence on college campuses, and I mean literally all of it, is committed by leftists. The administrators, of course, don't point that out. They don't say, oh, well, as long as you aren't violent, then there won't be any violence because you people are the only ones who ever commit violence. Instead, they cater to the absurdity. They tacitly affirm these totally baseless concerns. Later in the discussion, another university official has an inspiring message to share with the protesters. I think the power that you all have is in yourselves. One of the people that I respect a lot said the only power that people have who don't have power is power in the numbers. Mm -hmm. So as a protesting group, if there begins to be any threats towards you, I would suggest all of you sit down. That will cause the city. That will help Joe and his his officers know that something is happening. (coughs) You will be in unity together. So if somebody is getting threatened, sit down and call it out. Power was within, she says, as university administrators continue their pep talk to leftist activists. But unfortunately, she's wrong. I mean, these people have no power, no strength within, as evidenced by the next and final clip. Listen to this. Like the people exhausted this is my entire life to the point where I have decided that I would rather pay thousands of dollars to go to school than your house. It is exhausting with racism, homophobia, transphobia, and nobody cares. And you guys can say that here. I know that genuinely you wouldn't want hatred towards the students here, but these actions reflect that you want hatred. And we will continue feeling marginalized on this campus. It doesn't matter how much support that you give if the culture doesn't change. This is one of the most exhausting experiences of his life, he says. My speech is one of the most exhausting experiences of his life. I'm the one who actually has to give the speech, and I certainly wouldn't call it one of my most exhausting experiences. I have four kids. I have like 50 experiences every day that are more exhausting. But for him, simply being in the vicinity of my speech is exhausting. The most exhausting thing he's ever been through, which only goes to show just how coddled and comfortable and spoiled his life has been. And that's why, just as I spoke directly to the traumatized Amazon employees earlier in the show, now I'm going to speak directly to the leftist activists who will be protesting my speech tonight. And here's what I want you guys to understand. That you rail against privilege, but you are the epitome of privilege. Truly, you are the most privileged generation to ever live on planet Earth. You've been shielded from discomfort such that that now you feel personally attacked if somebody expresses a contrary opinion anywhere within a 50-mile radius of yourself. You've existed within a protective bubble that's only grown over time, and you wish that it will continue expanding forever. You have, to this point, lived lives of such extraordinary luxury 
that now you feel entitled to remain ensconced in this intellectual cocoon, insulated from viewpoints contrary to your own, to your own. But no such entitlement actually exists. At least it doesn't exist as a principle of nature. It's not a, a natural right. Your entitlement to psychological comfort is a human construction, a harmful one. Harmful to the world, but harmful to yourselves most of all. You know, when you, um, when you work with your hands or you lift heavy objects, something that I'm sure you've probably not experienced, your hands become calloused. And the same thing happens with your feet if you spend a lot of time walking or running, something that, again, I'm sure is foreign to you. But the calluses are good because they help you grip the heavy objects and they protect your feet as you move around. Your hands and feet are, are battle-tested, hardened, literally. Calluses are also good because it's shameful and embarrassing for a man to have soft, uncalloused baby hands. Well, a similar thing happens intellectually if you allow yourselves to be challenged, if you embrace and welcome encounters with differing viewpoints. Then your ideas, your worldview becomes battle-tested, calloused, firmer, tougher. The more it's challenged, the more it's able to withstand challenges. But your worldview crumbles into a million pieces if it even smells a whiff of a challenge. A slight breeze can blow it over and smash it into bits. That's why you're so afraid of, of me and of anybody else who threatens to do anything but coddle you and, and whisper sweet nothings in your ear. So if my presence, if my viewpoints cause you discomfort, exhaustion, pain, uh, I'm glad. That's a good thing. It will do you some good also. It will help you if you let it. And if you discover ultimately that allowing your viewpoints to be challenged will destroy them, blow them to smithereens, and leave you just kind of standing there, exposed, with your, with, with, with the, your, your entire intellectual framework having been torn down around you, well, then that tells you something about that intellectual framework. It tells you something about that worldview. If it cannot withstand the challenge, then it, then it needs to be abandoned. And you have to rethink everything that you believe. And you could start doing that right now. Otherwise, I'm afraid to say that you are canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm-hmm. 